time to wake up to Tequila Sunrise. Greg White here, and I have spent my career starting, leading, deploying, and investing in supply chain tech. So we take a shot and talk founders, execs, investors, and companies in this hot industry. If you want a taste of how tech startup growth and investment is done, join me for another blinding Tequila Sunrise. Wow. Did we get a lot of feedback on the first half of this interview with John Sicard? I'm so happy to bring you the second part of this so you can hear from this incredible supply chain leader. Listen up. You know, the wisdom is saying, you know, ignoring the techniques that, that make you more agile, okay, is where disaster lives. Yeah. Like that's where companies will ultimately fail. If they do not, you know, recognize you know, the, the flaws in legacy techniques, right? There are flaws. And by the way, if we went back 30 years ago, we would be talking about the previous 30 years and talking <laughs> about the flaws that existed in those techniques. Right. If you went back to Henry Ford before he invented line manufacturing and line stocking and, and so on, you know, people still were working in cells and so on. Well, he invented and improved manufacturing lines. And so now I think what COVID has done is it's accelerated in the minds of chief supply chain leaders and thought leaders, it's accelerated the need for generational change. What will the next 30 years look like? It's time to think differently. Yep. It's not time to, well, let's do the same as we've ever done. Same Harder. As it ever was from that famous, uh, you know, talking heads. Head song. Yeah, yeah. Same as it ever was, only better. Don't think so. I would argue that a lot of people recognize this aspect of supply chain and a lot of people need to recognize it. And that is that supply chain is not an optimization exercise. It is not a forecasting exercise. It is a risk management, risk mitigation, and risk responsiveness exercise. Because if we go back to the very first supply chain transaction, I imagine it was something like this. Hey, John, I got this tasty tomato here. You don't happen to have an extra spearhead laying around because I'd love to trade you for that. Yeah. Right. It, That's that how was it started. My chain. Right. Sharp stick for a tomato. I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll take the sharp stick. I'll do that. Right. So that, that was a simple, simple negotiation. It was a simple transaction. Right. It was very proximate and very little risk in it, except you stabbing me with the sharp stick, which I did not think about, and then just taking the tomato. But I know you, John, you wouldn't do that. No. The thing that we have to recognize is that in our desire, either as a consumer, for things that are out of season, like tomatoes, we have to get them from far away. Or in our desire as a supply chain practitioner, retail, manufacturer, distributor, whatever, to constantly optimize pricing, we introduce risk into the supply chain by getting stuff from farther away, using cheaper carriers, whatever we change about it. The supply chain in and of itself is simple. The things that we do to manipulate the economics or to manipulate the availability of goods in the supply chain either as a consumer, and I think it's important that consumers know their part in this as well, or as a practitioner, those are the things that introduce risk. And we have to acknowledge and manage risk appropriately. And exactly what you're talking about, risk requires agility. It requires that responsiveness, that resiliency, and that sort of thing that enables you to 
confront and overcome the inevitable disruptions that come into play when you take on that level of risk in a supply chain. I thoroughly agree. And, and I think what we're learning as it relates to what skills then, you know, what are the skills and what are the attributes that make for an agile, resilient supply chain? And again, mm -hmm. those are descriptives that you can talk about without bringing technology into the equation. That's, you know, as I started saying, you know, I, I prefer talking about this topic without technology as the leading, right. you know, discussion point. You know, I think technology is completely irrelevant if you can't bond on the motives for change and you can't bond on the way of life you're looking for. You have to start there first. And so what we're learning now, and again, you know, I'm learning this through conversations with some pretty forward-thinking chief supply chain officers from some very large corporations. Here's one. We have to completely eliminate the blindness that exists between the silos that we have created in supply chain. So this is fascinating. Again, if you look back the last 30 years, it's all been about functional excellence, okay? When I think about a supply chain, well, when I think about a chain, do you think about disconnected chain links or are they connected? I mean, they're connected. And each chain link of a supply chain has a purpose. It might start with demand. I mean, in fact, without demand for goods, there's no need for a supply chain at all. There's nothing to respond to. So it starts with a demand signal and that carries with it, whether it's forecasting or master scheduling or capacity planning or inventory planning or distribution planning and all these little functions. Right. And over the last 30 years, many uh, of these, you know, functions have been hard at work becoming experts at what they're responsible for. Mm -hmm. Yes. That tiny, okay. tiny niche, so right? Imagine, uh, you know, I, I personally think that supply chain is a team sport. It makes perfect sense to be a team sport. Okay. Well, let's, you know, in Canada, the only sport that exists is hockey, right? We like to say football would be a great sport if it were only like hockey. But anyway, <laughs> hockey, I love hockey. It's very aggressive. It's very Canadian football is very close to hockey. Yes, Everyone is, is always no, moving. I shouldn't say that. No. <laughs> and, and hey, you know, what about them Raptors? Uh, just yeah. saying. So look, but, but let's take hockey as an example. You know, how well would a team perform? A team, if the goalie just sat with their goalie coach all day, every day for a year, never played with their peers, just say, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to stop every shot. And oh my goodness, I'm the best goalie there is. And the defense, you separate the defense and all they do is sit there and practice their skill. They don't talk to anyone else, nobody else. You get the point, right? If, right. if everybody focuses on their unique skill and they become the best player of all time, okay? Then you put them together. You kind of get an all-star game. And let me tell you, anybody who watches an all-star game, it's not, you know, it's a bit of a, a, a you know, a goal fest, right? Like yeah. no one knows anything. They're all just running around playing their own game. Right. It doesn't make for great teams. I think what practitioners are saying now is we have to eliminate this siloed thinking. Thinking that you've optimized your function doesn't mean you've optimized the chain. And often you've sub-optimized the entire chain by optimizing your function because that myopic view of your area of responsibility discounts the impact, the butterfly effect, if you will, on the rest of the organization or supply chain. That's how you score on your own net. That's what <laughs> That's I like right. to say. Okay. Right. Because, and they're accidents. Nobody scores on their own net by on purpose. Right. 
Okay. It's extremely painful when you do it's embarrassing and it's painful, but I'll tell you, mostly it's by accident. It's, it's the, I didn't know excuse. Yeah. I didn't know you weren't going to be there when I, when I, when I blind passed behind me, like I expect, I didn't know you weren't going to be there. It was a good move. I look good doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, so, so I think this is what this blindness between functions, the fog between functions is causing, you know, people don't come to the office to, to do harm. But there are, you know, in many cases, hundreds of accidents that happen. They're all small, but when you take a hundred small accidents, that creates a bit of a tsunami. But I think that's, I mean, I do think that's what the transparency and visibility initiative that we see going on does, because I've heard people in manufacturing say they're not in supply chain. I've heard people in procurement say they're not in, or, or be told they're not in supply chain. Uh, well, 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 you're dealing with indirect goods. Well, that's the pulleys and the rollers and the racking that moves the stuff through right. the manufacturing facility or the distribution center or the retail store or whatever. So, yeah, you're in supply chain. I would argue if you touch the goods or yeah. you touch any component of the goods or the raw materials for the components for any of the goods, then you're in the supply chain. Yeah. I think you could argue even today that even the merchants who design or select the product in the retail store, they're in supply chain because they are determining things like where the materials come from and in what quantity and making commitments like that. All of that has an impact. And, you know, getting visibility or transparency that I think it's a core attribute it's it's one of those core things that he, that's emerging and it's it's really testing if you will the constructs that the current supply chains are run on the other one and it's related is time okay so you know again I'll, I'll, maybe i'll use a football analogy right where you absolutely have perfect visibility you can see yourself being sacked i'm oh um i i'm going to be i too late, you're sacked. Okay? Yeah. Because you're not moving fast enough, right? And and so I think time has become the new thing people are are you know are looking to optimize. How how long does it take for me to know a thing? Mm-hmm. Anything. You know, whether it's the speed at which I can determine the effects of material failing inspection at a factory in Hungary and knowing with great precision. What customer promise did I just put at risk as a result of that? There's a time dimension to that, right? Yeah. And again, this goes back to, well, you're talking about something that happens way down the value chain and connecting to something that happens, you know, what, what I might call the very top of the promise chain or the value chain, which is a promise made to a customer. I have to protect those promises. Yeah. So what is the speed to detecting the impact that that unexpected event has at the very top of the value chain. So it's more than visibility now because you get a lot of, of notions that say, oh, we'll just create a big data link and we'll stage it, you know, weekly or maybe even daily. And so it'll be 24 years, uh, 24 hours of latency only, right? Well, again, uh, practitioners today are saying a minute is an eternity in our business now. 60 seconds is a very long time to wait for anything. And so the, the time dimension and understanding the impacts, um, you know, cause and effect impacts of that, in, of the entire value chain, you know, practitioners are saying, I, I'm not going to wait 
right? This has to happen in near real time. Real time. I'm not waiting 24 hours. That you know, that's absurd. 60 seconds. I need to know. And and it's it's only through that kind of breakthrough thinking, I think, that you're going to see a giant leap forward. You know, for the next generation. You know, it's it's elements like that or attributes like that that are really driving. Uh, I think you know ultimately where will supply chain be? Maybe 30 years from now, we might still be around. You might be around. But my point is we might be talking about the things, the decisions that we made today to revolutionize the, the next 30 years and, and why we made them. And uh, I think there'll be almost a, an obsession with compressing time in the supply chain because speed to detect leads to speed to correct. It's as simple as that. Say that again. That's really that's really yeah, important. Speed to detect leads to speed to correct. And if you can compress that into 60 seconds, yeah. no one will ever walk into your office and say, I'm sorry, I was unaware. I'm sorry, I didn't know. No, no. I mean, things happen in, in 60 seconds, you're aware. And, and it gives you an opportunity to correct. Yeah, I think that's really poignant. And as you were saying, 30 years from now, I was thinking the level of or the quantity or the quality of evolution in the supply chain that's happened the last 30 years will probably happen in the next five years. So hopefully, John, by 30 years from now, you and I are sitting around watching. I'm not a huge hockey fan. Did I say that in Canada? But I'll watch hockey with you and you can watch American football with me. All right. And we'll spend half times or, you know, whatever they call it in hockey (laughs) 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 between periods. We'll spend the time between periods talking about how much the supply chain has changed, right? It's changed a hundred years worth in 30 years, right? Because the capacity in you as a systems software engineer, you know that the ability to transform via technology. And I mean, I know technology is not the solution. Well, it's not the, core solution, but it is the hammer with which we build yes. the house, right? It's the enabler. And it, it, it and it allows is. us to build the house much, much faster now. Right. I I often describe, you know, people look for analogies and I'm a big analogy guy because, you know, this it comes back to, you know, how do I abstract this problem? You yeah. know, how do I abstract this notion? Well, I'll describe it this way. And I feel like we're sort of in the similar kind of a circumstance. If you went back 200 years and you were talking to a farmer that was building their business. And the, you know, there's a, I don't know, one kilometer raging river, whatever, raging river between their farmlands and the next available market. There's a, you know, town over there. Of course, the raging river, you can't just boat your things across. There's current just takes you away. And you walk into that farmer and say, why don't you just float, fly your produce over the river? Just fly your produce over the river. Now, mm-hmm. Farmers 200 years ago absolutely understood flight. Birds fly over that river every day. Right. I know exactly how they do it. The other thing that's fascinating is they sure as heck know the value of that. How many how many dreams have you had of flying? Everybody yeah. has at some point yeah. in their life dreamed that they could fly. It's an amazing thing. Now, 200 years ago, that farmer just wouldn't know how they could fly, but they absolutely understand the value of, of their business if they could. So it starts with that, understanding the value understanding the attributes that you're after and then you have to talk about technology and so then you okay well then how do humans fly well you know somebody invented thrust and lift and wing foil and all that stuff 
and you get into the technology that actually enables it. I think right now we're in a a similar situation with supply chain, where people understand the attributes they're after. They're like, I I refuse to allow, you know, the lack of time, right? The fact that I I don't have time to correct, right? I I can feel the pain, but by the time I'm feeling the pain, there's no time to correct. Right, it's back to that. You know, I could, I could see the pain too late. I'm sacked. I, you didn't give me enough time to get out of the way. So the obsession with time and and collapsing cycle time from end to end will be critical. Eliminating all the blindness of functions, which will ultimately change people's roles. Yeah, will be another one. Democratizing learning. Right, no one should ever be made to to make to guess what to do. That that's absurd too. Like people guess because they don't they don't they don't see what but the implications of their decisions will be on their peers. Okay. So again, if I, if this is a, a chain, imagine I grab one chain link and I pull it down. What happens to the chain? The rest of the links move, right? They're instantaneously affected by the decisions. So I think this notion of democratizing learning, like being able to test the decision before you make it has to be a part of the attribute of the future, right? No one should be left to guess. Yeah. You have to know before you go. You know, these are, are going to become key key and critical attributes. I do think there is a, a place for automation, although I think, and maybe I'm going to say something controversial here. I think All right. the, the next fool's errand, the, the next absolute red herring will be those who believe that you can live with lights out planning. And I and look, I'm a, I'm a software engineer, and I, and I know the technologies out there that, that are hard at work, but the notion that you know, some technology will in- eliminate the need for human judgment in the future, I think, is absolute flawed thinking. You know, and it's not to say that the endeavor is flawed. Right. I think we can get to a point where 80% of it, let's let's automate 80% of the obvious. And we don't need humans doing obvious things. Right. The notion that you can end up with a technology that can automate and produce a lights out planning kind of a scenario is just as foolish as believing that you could you could invent a, a forecasting algorithm and hit 100% forecast accuracy every day for a year. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you gave the best analogy earlier. It's it's flying an aircraft through turbulence, right? Yeah. It's when the turbulence hits that you need the discernment of a human who has or can interpret the experience to right. intervene, right? Because even AI, I mean, people think of AI as this all-knowing monster. It's really a child that only knows what it's been taught. And if it has not experienced something specifically before or been primed with information about that specific experience, it doesn't know what to do. And, and that's why human intervention will always be required. As you said, at higher, more ethereal and less frequent levels or less frequency, right? But still always intervening and always doing what a human mind can can that a computer mind can't yeah 100 percent. i think that's true i think you know even at canaxis we have a, an incredibly strong machine learning and ai team and uh, and their purpose is pretty clear you know it comes back to you know our our endeavors to see what does it take to automate the obvious and that's yep. those, those, those are the terms we actually use automate the obvious safely yeah. with confidence okay and i think when you've solved the other prerequisite attributes of you know, I'd say high-speed end-to-end flawless visibility of the entire value chain. People stop arguing about the data and start focusing on performance. 
of the chain, not performance of the chain links. It starts there. Then you could apply some of those techniques to automate the obvious. You know, as it relates, though, of absorbing, you know, future volatility, and I say this to every practitioner, so is your business exactly the same as it was five years ago? You know, you usually get a chuckle. Do you think it'll be the same five years from now? You get a chuckle because they know. Like, yeah. Man, I, life is all about absorbing, absorbing uncertainty or, absor- as you said, absorbing risk. So then it, it, it changes the kind of machine you have to build, the kind of process you have to build for supply chain. Agility has to have an equal place, if you will, in your procedure to accuracy. And I keep saying this, you know, people think sometimes I'm, I am somehow indicting, um, you know, the notion of math-based models. And I'm not. I'm just saying they have, they have massive limitations. Yeah. They're, they're incredibly important. You have right. to know roughly where you're going. But the notion that you could absorb the uncertainty generated by those algorithms is just foolish. You know, that, that's not the muscle you need. You, you, need to, you need to have accuracy and agility live in perfect harmony. They, they live in perfect equilibrium. They're both are, are vital. And I think whether it's a mathematical model or it's AI or ML or whatever it is, the beauty of, of those is the, the consistency, the repeatability, and the scalability. AI, once it's learned something, and by the way, all we do is impart human intellect into AI. Once AI has learned something, it never forgets. It, it never fails to consider one of the inputs, and it never acts emotionally. So it takes out all the bad parts of human judgment and imparts the knowledge of human judgment consistently 100% of the time, and that is the beauty of it. But it's also the reason that it has those limitations you talked about because it doesn't know anything that it wasn't taught, as we said before, or anything that any knowledge that hasn't been, uh, or any data, I should say, that can't be imparted to it in this situation. Exactly right. It's it's software written by human hand. It's it's fascinating. And again, as, as a software engineer, I'm, I'm always fascinated and stunned by some of the results that the techniques around machine learning can produce. You know, again, I never see it as, oh, this is the path to lights out. No, I'll, I'll, ne- I'll just flat out never believe that. You know, but, you know, at the same time, I think, you know, I would, I would be telling practitioners to beware anybody who suggests that somehow this leads to lights out. It's it's it would be like somebody saying, oh, now this algorithm, now this one's the one that gets 100 percent forecast accuracy. Right. Everyone seems to have agreed that that's absolutely I mean, that's absurd. And so if that's absurd, well, it's equally absurd that somehow this particular software is going to harness all of the world's volatility. And, you know, I think you mentioned this, which I found very intriguing. Maybe you can. You can uh, expand on this because I'm, I'm going to steal some of your language. As, Go ahead. Yeah. Was trying to harness hum, human behavior somehow, that somehow human behaviors and how humans will buy things uh, in the yeah. future can be completely predicted. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can't say that it's completely predictable, but I can say that it is the forecasting of the future, right? This myth that we, that, you know, we use this language, or at least I've used this language as both a practitioner and a solution provider of this item did that, this item trended, it increased its sales, it it had seasonality, right? This item's sales grew or tailed or whatever. And the truth is the item is simply an object, right? I would encourage everyone who's watching this to look around at any item in front of you or behind me and tell me precisely what those items have done, and it is nothing. 
items don't do anything. They don't fly off the shelves, even though we say they do, right? They don't trend. They don't have seasonality, right? They don't have patterns or anything like that. What, what items do is they wait. They wait for the customer or consumer to act on them. So what we need to be predicting is we need to predicting be predicting the action of that consumer. In the case of a manufacturer, this has been a folly in my opinion in supply chain for a lot of years. Manufacturers, they want POS data, which means absolutely nothing to them because if a store sells one, they don't order one. If a store sells one, they wait till the other stores in the chain accumulate to a case of 12. Then they have to round it to a pallet because this manufacturer requires you to order in a pallet. But then it gets rounded to a truckload because your contract with them requires you to order in truckloads. So you really need to assess the means by which your downstream, I say, by the way, manufacturing is at the top of the supply chain. Some say it the other way. Your downstream demand is, is triggered. Not what has occurred in the past, but what triggers it or will trigger it to happen in the future. Yeah. That accumulation of stores to a truckload and then project that truckload to the manufacturer. Do likewise downstream. You know, what made Billy Bob go in and buy uh, some beef jerky today? Because deer season opened, right? Whatever. And accumulate that up. And you're right. It, we do need to be more cognizant of the customers downstream in order to close whatever to keep yeah. the supply chain accurate right i think now more than ever and and i encourage anybody who is in the predicament that they're in they're feeling pain you know to reflect on the attributes they're looking at looking for first don't don't start shopping for technology i think that's that's the wrong approach mm-hmm. and, and the right approach is to say what are the attributes of the future that matter most yeah. What are what are the attributes? And and it does take some introspection and it does take some humility in recognizing that yeah, perhaps some past decisions have been part of the problem, right? Or flawed uh, processes or yeah, it's perfectly blindnesses, right? Right. Yeah. Look, I, as I say, you know, nobody nobody you know, you, you don't move forward, you know, you don't move if you, you don't fall if you're not moving. That's the that's the lesson, right? right? So yeah, everyone's feeling the effects of COVID as a massive, you know, I'd say shockwave. And for those that are trying to figure out, okay, and I, and I, I think this is happening in every boardroom. In every boardroom, CEOs are being asked by their board, what are you going to do next time? What are you going to do? And same as it ever was, isn't the answer. You right. know, that isn't the answer, right? People it's a are great saying, song, you know, but it's still yeah, a great good. song, but same as it ever was means well, we're going to experience the same level of pain. And and so now people are saying, okay, so what is it? What competency are we missing? What design flaws are in the process? And that's where things like, yeah, well, there's blindness between functions. What one team is doing, the other team doesn't see. That's a problem. Yeah. There's duplicity in data. How many times have you replicated your demand signal? And how many times do you walk into a meeting room where the first argument is about the accuracy of the data and everyone has their own personal spreadsheet. Oh my gosh. Yes. The whole meeting winds up being about that, right? Yeah. That's a tragedy. I think now is the time to think about generational change. And, you know, if, if you're at the top of this craft, then you have to leave it better than you got it. And, and I think that's what, that's what has a lot of practitioners now thinking like what attributes have I missed? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what does the future of this craft look like? 
you know, for the next 30 years, for the next generation that, that comes after me. So let's speak to that next generation a little bit, or maybe some of your fellow leaders in, in supply chain, either on the solution side or on the practitioner side. So I'm all, I always love to ex- help you express your gifts, your thoughts, your perspective to the community here. So give me an example of something you wish you had known sooner and what you think it might have earlier, right? Earlier in your life, maybe. And, and what you think that might've changed for you. I mean, and I don't mean necessarily supply chain could be a leadership lesson, anything, but whatever, some, something that you think would be valuable for folks to take away from this. And we talked a little bit about this, I think, is this notion of an appreci- a deep appreciation and a thirst for learning new things every day. I think progress happens through learning. And when I was younger, I think I didn't appreciate the power of, of learning a new thing and how compounding that is, you know, to, to build a better future. How do I leave the planet better than I got? Mm-hmm. And, and as it relates to, you know, all the conversation that we're having now, I think I, I'm I'm somewhat saddened that it's taken it's taken a giant you know catastrophe to draw attention to something that I I have believed for for many years now that you know the the legacy approaches and the le- legacy techniques have been failing the planet and if it wasn't COVID well I've I've visited and talked to enough practitioners to know that we've been eroding core natural resources, whether it's water, energy, any of those things, right? We've been eroding those things. I wish I would have known earlier, you know, to be able to, to really educate in, in, in a way that we, we now can, right? Educate yeah. in a way that we know now how to, you know, how do we combat this challenge? I think the fortunate happenstance for you and I in the next 30 years, John, is that I think people are really aware of that. What it makes me wonder about at the same time is what they're they're unaware of that 30 years from now, someone's going to ask them, what do you wish you had known 30 years ago? And it's so hard to predict that. But at the very least, we're much, much more aware of our impact on one another and on, you know, on this planet we call home. So, no, I, I agree. I, you know, I think we have to be cognizant, especially as a technologist, right? I, I, it's another lesson that I learned. I wish I would have learned earlier too. Uh, as a software engineer, I used to love the product. Oh, I loved it, you know. Yeah. And, and engineers love what they build. Yeah. And I've recent, well, recently enough, realized that what the products do is less. It's less important than what the products mean. And, and, you know, when you say, what does Canaxis mean to the world is a different question than what Canaxis does. And I wish I would have learned that lesson earlier. I, I think, it, you know, educating more people to talk about value, not, not just technology for its interest's sake, right? Technology can be interesting or it can be valuable. When you're forced to describe what, what you do by answering the question, what do you mean? You're talking in, into the, in the consumer's language. Right. It's what Canaxis does is only interesting unless it's valuable, seen right. valuable by by practitioners. And so, you know, I, I'm now one of the it's a, a lesson for every engineer out there. Fall in love with what your technology means, not what it does. It's probably a lesson that you you learned maybe in in your stint in marketing. Right. One of the yeah. things that I have had described to me is there's what it is. 
It's a technology for whatever purpose. What it does, it does X to solve a problem. What does it mean? That's the meaningful part. And that's the part, as you said, that the marketplace cares about. What does it mean, right? It saves you cash. It eliminates risk in your supply chain. It makes your day-to-day life better, right? It allows you to communicate with your audience and with your with your ecosystem. So whatever whatever it is, the what it means is really, really important. It, and it, you know, it's really a gift. And I bet you, I don't know if you deal with them directly, but I bet you have people like that in your community, probably even in your, your development organization that they get the what it means. They don't fall in love with the problem. They don't fall in love with the code. They fall in love with solving. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's, you know, the higher, this comes back to just cause as Simon Sinek calls it, you know, the higher order purpose for being what makes us relevant. And, you know, I think our success in Canaxis's, you know, our relevance, in fact, is built on what we mean, not what we do. And, you know, when I think about the meaning and what we've done for some of the greatest, largest manufacturers in the world is, you know, help them eliminate waste, become hyper, you know, hyper efficient and hyper agile. You know, it's a great philosophical question I often start with. And and it's it's an interesting way to think about the problem. And, And, you know, in terms of a debate. Would you rather be infinitely accurate or infinitely agile as a person? Mm. Which would you pick? And it's funny because, you know, it's hard. You you really want balance. Okay. You do want balance. But the longer you think about that very simple philosophical question, the, the clearer the answer becomes. If you were infinitely agile, you don't need any accuracy at all. It means that you can absorb positively every uncertainty and every unknown. Now, of course, we know that that's not true, but it does draw the potency of having agility as, as part, of the, uh, part of the process. People yeah. start to get it. Perfection is the enemy of the good, right? I mean, I love it. yeah. it's another interpretation of that statement, right? I yeah. mean, to accomplish anything, you have to accept some imperfection. 100% probably should wrap up though. I feel like we could probably do this all day and then play a little music and have a shot of tequila, but, but I know you've got CEOing to do. So is there anything that I haven't asked or we haven't really discussed that you just feel like our community could really take away that would really be valuable for them in their supply chain journey, technology journey, life journey, career journey? Yeah, I, I would say have the managerial courage to question norms it's it's the first path to breakthrough right make no assumption that the norms um you know will lead you lead you for the next 30 years it it does take courage and i've had enough conversations with people saying but we've invested uh, that's how the conversations usually start Mm -hmm. we've invested so much time and so much you know okay you know you have to set those aside and have the courage to question the legacy techniques against the attributes that matter most to survival for the next 30 years. I think the word courage is, is what's necessary there. That's a really great insight. I immediately thought of Sears. We've invested so much in this means of doing business, right? Right. Wow, that's powerful. I mean, you could say that about anything. It doesn't have to be about a whole business. It could be about a, a trait or a career or anything that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. That's fantastic. All right. Lastly, thank you. First of all, thank you for that. 
lastly, how can folks get in touch with you or learn more about you or Canaxis? I mean, you are a public company, right? Your symbol Absolutely, is yeah. KXS, right, on the Toronto Exchange? That's right, KXS. So we are public uh, easily, easily enough uh, to find out there. I'm, uh, I'm certainly easy to find on, on LinkedIn. I love having debates and dialogue, especially with practitioners. Two positive outcomes happen, right? I either teach somebody something or I learn something, and both are incredibly you know, powerful and, yeah. and valuable. You know, anybody who wants to have these types of conversations uh, I'm, I'm fully open to, to having those just reach, just find me on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way. That's awesome. Or canaxis.com, correct? Canaxis.com. Exactly right. You know, we're happy to, to engage. We're pretty different though. You'll find us. We won't lead with technology ever. We, we bond first on technique. If you don't bond on technique, technology is irrelevant. I remember uh, looking longingly when little old Blue Ridge was at uh, the Gartner Executive Supply Chain Conference at your massive and impressive booth and then talking to some of your folks and not really understanding what you guys did when I walked up there and walking away understanding exactly where your position in the marketplace was. So you guys have done fantastic work there. I'm pulling for you. I can't lie. You know, I have this tequila sunrise supply chain tech stock index and <laughs> Canaxis was one of the first companies that I talked about in one of my first Tequila Sunrise episodes. And I can tell you that since Tequila Sunrise has gone on the air, absolutely no impact on your stock. I just wanted to let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Wish I could claim it, but there's nothing there. (laughs) Well, I had a ball. I I appreciate it, Greg. You've got some great insights and, you know, you're a kindred spirit. So, uh, you know, anytime, love to have another event like this. Anytime, anytime. Next time we will have tequila and and hockey. All right. (laughs) At your place. All right. Big thanks to our guest, John Sicard, president and CEO, Canaxis Technologies. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. We're going to, you're going to, I'm cutting into your prep time for your next meeting. So you feel free to blame it on me. Most people do anyway. All good. good. I'll be ready. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks everybody for joining us. Enjoy another Tequila Supply Chain Now Network. The voice of supply chain featuring the people, technologies, best practices, and key issues in the industry. And hey, listen up. To build your supply chain knowledge, listen to Get This. Supply Chain is Boring, where Chris Barnes connects you to the who's who that got supply chain where we are, point us to where we're going, and take us to the next level. Or check out This Week in Business History with Supply Chain Now's own Scott Luton to learn more about everyday things you may take for granted and pick up quick insights you can use as inspiration and conversation starters. Our Logistics with Purpose series puts a spotlight on inspiring and successful organizations that give first, give forward as their business model. If you're interested in transportation, freight, and logistics, have a listen to the Logistics and Beyond series with the Adapt and Thrive Mindset Sherpa, Jamin Alvidrez, and also check out Tech Talk, hosted by industry vet and Atlanta's own Corinne Bursa, supply chain pro to know of 2020, where Corinne discusses the people, processes, and technology of digital supply chain. 
for sponsorship information on Tequila Sunrise or any Supply Chain Now show, DM me on Twitter or Instagram at Gregory S. White or email me at greg at supplychainnow.com. Thanks again for spending your time with me and remember, acknowledge reality, but never be bound by it. <laughs>